Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. On today's episode of Mike's Search for Meaning, my guest is Dr. Lauren Borden. Lauren is a leadership coach who specializes in supporting mission-driven leaders in leading with greater empathy, emotional intelligence, and consciousness so that they can disrupt their industries and broaden their impact in the world. Her approach blends deep spiritual and healing aspects of coaching with application-based approaches. As a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, she has a deep subject matter expertise in research-based principles in supporting leaders and teams. And as a meditation and intuition teacher, she supports clients in doing the deep work to create lasting transformation and impact. And this is something that I haven't been mentioning in my intros, but I will from now on and they've been in my show notes, I want to raise awareness for and donate to charities and organizations that are doing great work in the world. Each one of my guests brings a charity or organization. And this week, it's going to be the Loveland Foundation. So I donated to the Loveland Foundation. It's linked in the show notes. And I would really appreciate if you take a look and see if you feel called to make a donation as well. Now, in this conversation that I had with Dr. Lauren Borden, we talk about her journey. And as you can tell from her bio as a PhD in in industrial psychology, her background is a little bit heady and intellectual. And she talks about how in her journey, it made a lot of sense. She came from a background and a family that really emphasized intellectual curiosity and understanding things and knowing the world. And at a certain point in her career, she realized that there was a lot more going on. She, In her words, she said she was living from the neck up and there was so much more going on in her body. And through meditation, through doing a Vipassana retreat, through many other experiences in her life, she started to get more in touch with her true nature and the wisdom of her body. So this is something that I've certainly been paying more attention to in my life as well. And we also focus on, we're both, we both identify as highly sensitive people, Lauren and I, and we discuss how we can leverage that as a gift in leadership and as a human and the ways that sensitivity is perceived as a weakness in the world and how it can really be an incredible gift, which is something that I have explored in past episodes, but it's something that is really meaningful and close to heart for me because I personally have grappled with what it means to be sensitive. And especially as a male, I have had a tough time coming to terms with what that means about me and what that means about how I show up in the world. It's a really powerful gift if it's harnessed the right way. And Lauren has the gift of really drawing out and extracting how sensitivity can really serve leaders and organizations. So we talk all about these 
beautiful topics. Lauren is an incredible human. I have loved connecting with her, and it was such a pleasure to have her on the show. And with all of that said, settle in, take a deep breath. And enjoy what Lauren has for us. Lauren, welcome to Mike's Search for Meaning. Mike, thanks so much for having me. It's been a long time coming. I'm excited to be sitting here. It has been a long time coming. I'm excited to dive into all the topics that we discussed beforehand. Before I ask my first question, I just have a curiosity. What's in your drink right now? That's such a cool question. So I actually stopped drinking coffee a while ago because I noticed that it makes me, I just, my body does not respond super well to it. It makes it kind of hard to do the work that I do. So, and I still do have caffeine in the form of, so it's, it's called fizz. And it's, uh, it's from a company called Arbon. My friend, my friend sells it. And I'm, I'm normally not the biggest fan of multi-level marketing, but she got me hooked on it. And it's basically B vitamins and there's some guarana in it and green tea, caffeine derived from green tea. So it tastes like, like an orange fizzy drink and it's like low in sugar and all kinds of things. So it just gives me a nice little boost. So I have some energy for the rest of the day and without making me too jittery. So I'm a big fan. Anyone, I, if anyone wants to try it, my friend Alessia, my friend Alessia sells it. Have you ever tried it? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I, I haven't, yeah. I haven't tried it. I haven't heard of it, but it was, I, I always pretty much start my interview with the same question. And I thought, you know, this one, I was just curious. I want, want to know what you're drinking. I assumed that it had a, a special purpose. It looked like some sort of morning cocktail. So thank you for <laughs> indulging me. <laughs> well, and to be fair for everyone, because everyone, for everyone listening, I know that you can't see us, but it's, it's like bright orange. It's like neon. It's like a neon orange drink, which is the B vitamins. B vitamins often have uh-huh. that that effect but so it's hard to hard to ignore so it it makes sense that you would ask that question cool well i'll link to that in my show notes if it's an (laughs) an option too and uh, along with any other resources Mm -hmm. that we (laughs) cover along the way in the conversation the real first question that i ask almost all of my guests is what was it like at your dinner table when you were growing up i love this i when i love that question because it's like it's just gives you such a, a sense of who, I don't know, kind of who you're speaking with in their background and everything. Well, and first off, I, I want to, as I answer that question, I want to also honor that, like, you know, I'll, I'll share that and that it's my, you know, kind of my experience of, of my dinner table. And I sure. recognize that, like, my brother or my parents, you know, might have very different experiences of what things were like. But as when I was younger, I was a really sensitive kid. Like I was really sort of perceptive and was very like tuned into, I'm sure you, my guess is that you were probably similar just knowing you Mike. like, (laughs) just very like plugged into everybody's moods and what they need. And so I think my earliest memories of like really being at my dinner table growing up was just being very, very deeply tapped into like how everybody was feeling. And simultaneously, I grew up with, you know, my dad was a lawyer. And my older brother, he's seven years older than me and like went to the University of Chicago. He was like this very, my brother's incredibly intellectual and incredibly smart. My dad's like a very smart lawyer. My mother's very intelligent. So very rational, analytical conversation, usually about politics in some capacity or what's happening kind of on a global stage. And so it was an interesting 
experience, and it actually, even as I'm processing it, 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 I'm realizing that actually what was cool about it was that it definitely set me up, I think, for who I am now, because I'm this person who I'm like, I'm deeply empathetic and emotional and can feel all of the things below all of the kind of intellectual rigor that I think happens in a lot of, a lot of spaces in the ways, ways that most people, you know, so many people connect with each other on this intellectual level, which, and so having that, that experience as a kid kind of gave me that, but I could also feel, I felt like I could also feel what was happening in the background, which for me as a kid was very confusing. And now as an adult, I'm really happy that I had both of those Mm. holes, but yeah, that's, I, I, and I'm so curious about how other people answer that question. I'll have to go listen to like other people's answers, but that that's the first thing that comes to mind really was like this experience of uh, deep emotion, but also a lot of thoughtful discourse and um, debate and things like that. So, yeah. So at a, at a high level, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to give you a quick swipe at what, what a lot of other people's answers are. There's, everyone has a very unique answer. And that said, there's a couple of patterns that emerge. One is people take a deep breath and go, oof, like that's, that brings up a lot for me. And then talk about how the, some version of the dinner table wasn't really, they didn't have the quote unquote, you know, uh, American dinner table where the family sat together and everyone spoke about their day. So a lot of people talk about how that was a scattered experience for them and the, it speaks to the lack of structure they might have had in the household. Other people talk about the stressful experience of it, right? Like their, maybe their parents didn't get along well and uh, that mm-hmm. caused all, all sorts of dynamics at the table where everyone was projecting a little bit of their own stuff and no one was getting what they needed most in that environment. And then the, some of them are a little more of the unique variety, and I'll leave I'll leave it there for what what other guests say. My one of my curiosities about what you said is coming in it. There's two in a very intellectual household. Was there an expectation that you had to like professionally? Were you committed to? something that would fulfill that side of yourself. Like it was intellectual stimulation was the goal in your career. And the second curiosity is, was there the the dynamic at the table? Did it like you said, you spoke about, we'll, we'll come back to your sensitivity and and maybe my sensitivity, but was Mm -hmm. there a, when you were processing all that, was there something underneath that, that with your current hindsight, you're, you're able to tune into what you were sensing in those moments? Like, was it, was it a a loving dinner table? Was it stressful? Was it all of the above? Were people just like battling for airtime, trying to prove how smart they were? (laughs) I know there's a lot in there, but. Yeah, no. Well, and thanks for asking. Thanks for asking that to like go deeper into it. Cause it's funny. I'm even I'm even getting a lot just out of having you ask this question because <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking about it with the second part about like, was there more there? 100%. I think, you know, I was very dialed in and my, this is my adult interpretation of it, of course. And especially doing what I do as a coach and everything, like I'm very good at kind of sizing up like what's happening, you know, mm-hmm. what's happening, happening on a psychological level and everything like that. But 
my dad, I think there was a lot going on. You know, my dad was, he was a corporate lawyer and he was really did his best to be present and like just such a loving, sweet man. And there were two things. Number one was there was always a lot of stress in the space about work. And I don't know that it was, I think, I think they, you know, my dad and my parents did their absolute best to make sure that it wasn't in the space, but I was a really sensitive kid. Like it was, I was perceptive. And so that, that was definitely something that I would feel. It was like this kind of charged conversation. And as a little kid, I'm like, and I'm feeling that my dad's really stressed out and that, and that my brother is learning, you know, I don't, you know, my brother is maybe going through what he's going through and that my mom, my mom also has a chronic or had, uh, still has, but when I was growing up, she had a chronic pain condition. And so there was always this, this experience of, you know, we, we kind of connect at this intellectual level. And that is the thing that we, we, you know, the way that the world kind of works and there's this deeper level that we're not totally diving into, like we're not totally sinking down into. And as someone who, when I was, you know, I still in like this felt very, very deeply, I didn't really know what to do with that. Like it was kind of the way that it showed up for me early on was like, okay, so these are just the things that we don't talk about or that I don't, I don't really allow myself to explore, even though I actually think at that age, I was really gifted in that. Like that was one of my gifts was that I could see and, and sort of feel and, and kind of understand and empathize in that way. And yeah, so there was totally other stuff in the space that I can kind of look, look back on that just wasn't being discussed. And so, which is funny now, because part of my job is to be like, what's the stuff that you're not talking about? Like, what's the emotional stuff that you've jettisoned or that you've shoved into a closet? Because I think early on, I, I lived so many years not, you know, kind of, kind of trying not to know those things and trying not to actually have those conversations and being like, well, this is what it just means to be an adult or a functioning human is that we, we kind of connect on this intellectual kind of surface level in this surface level way, like that's kind of the model that I think a lot of us receive. In ter- I mean, I don't want to project on like everyone listening, but in terms of like what it means to be an adult, like you, you do this dance and you interact in this particular way and some of the deeper conversations like we just don't have. And which was hard for me, you know, like as a little kid, I think it, like I've had a lot of support, I think around this component of my life and, and, um, you know, of course, it's not a coincidence that now my job is to help people get in touch with that deeper level and actually leverage it and use it as a, a way of supporting. And to your, actually, I'll pause there before I answer yeah. your other question because I know I, I just probably threw a lot at you. Yeah, well, I, I am still curious. So that that would have been mm-hmm. where I, I was going to push just a little bit more, and then and then we'll I want to get into all the the great work that you currently do and some of the other stuff mm-hmm. that you've teed up. But my my curiosity was around. So given all of that, like maybe you you put your sensitivity and uh, ability to feel in a little box or compartmentalize in some way. Was was the expectation? I know that you got a PhD. Your your doctor Lauren Borden was that was that <laughs> so, a familial pressure or was that something that was an interest of yours? Like what what led to you going down that path? Yeah. It's such a good question because I mean, looking back on, to give my parents a lot of credit, they didn't ever explicitly have that 
expectation of me. In fact, actually, the intellectual stuff was always something that I really struggled with. Like when I was younger, I was when I was in first grade, I was diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia. So, so I didn't. I'm say, I'm kind of laughing at it because it it. I don't know that anybody in that moment would have predicted that I would have gone on to get a PhD because I really struggled. Like I struggled in school. I had a lot of feelings. Like no one. I think no one quite knew what to do with me. I mean, I didn't quite know what to do with me, but so there was that piece. And, and then there was also just watching, I think how my, my dad and my brother were always so good at like thinking and navigating the world that I think I kind of just looked at them and was like, Oh, that's how you, that's how you do it. Like, that's how you human. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I don't know that they ever would have looked at me, you know, my mom, my mom still says this now when she talks about my childhood, she's like, she's like, you were so intense about school. Like at some point I got the memo, this is what it takes to be successful, but it was internalized and it wasn't explicit. It was something that I, I kind of deduced from what I was seeing in the world and kind of internalized. And so worked very hard. Like you would not have known by the time I got to high school, you would not have known that I had struggled with learning disabilities when I was younger, because I just like fought tooth and nail. And my mom, I remember actually my mother looking at me and being like, honey, you actually don't need to work this hard. Like mm -hmm. you don't, you don't, you know, this pressure is not, you know, like it, she, I think she was very conscious of making sure that she, I knew that the pressure wasn't coming from them to, to her credit. And it was still, I think something that I, because I was this little kid who would like send all of her energy out into the world and kind of be like, well, what does it actually take to be successful? It, one of the things I'd internalized was like, this is just what you do. You, we don't talk about the big feelings and I have to learn to think and communicate and kind of navigate in this other way and fought really hard to be able to be that way, to be successful until I was, you know, like I, went through college and was like, you know, was basically maintaining a 4.0. Like I was working really, really, really hard and then ended up going, I graduated immediately and went in and I got my PhD and it, it was about a year in where I kind of lifted my head up and I was like, I really had this realization that I had been completely jettisoning this other part of my, of who I was, my emotions, my sensitivity, my, the fact that I have huge, <laughs> like I, have, I keep saying it, but my feelings are huge. And I think luckily I had gotten some advice early on about pursuing what I loved. And so I, at that point I was getting a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, which I think in my, my was my way of trying to kind of smash these two things together, like the intellectual and the emotional in a way that made sense. And I'm really grateful that I did. Like, I think that was honestly kind of like a, a, a little bit of like a God moment or like there was some divinity in that and luck. And I'm really, really grateful for that because I easily, I, you know, I, I was this close to like going to law right. school. Oh, wow. Uh, I was really, really close. And so that was a very long answer to your question, but the expect there, there, I would say that there was a, a lot of conditioning that that was the most important thing that intellect and achievement was the most important thing. But if I was receiving it, it wasn't because it was intentional. It was because that was, I was working really hard as a little, as like, my little young self to like learn how to be successful in this world basically yeah so some, something that comes up for me around that answer is how important modeling behavior and not just the the words that we say are right because it's 
I'm making up the story. You didn't explicitly say this, so I'm going to qualify by saying I am making mm-hmm. up the story that you <laughs> saw your parents working really hard and being stressed about work and being very intellectual in the way that they uh, carried themselves and not talking about their feelings that even if they told you that it was okay for you to speak about your feelings or that you should follow a field that you were passionate about or whatever, that you, you saw in their behavior, the, this is, this is what an adult does. So I'm going to do that. Right. So there's, there's one part Mm -hmm. of it. That's like the, I'm, I'm struck by how important it is to demonstrate behavior and not just to pay lip service to it or to speak about it. But Mm -hmm. uh, another, another thing that that's more tangential and just a reflection, the thing that I wanted to press a little bit more on right now is so you, you go down this path of PhD. It's very much like a next door neighbor to where you are. It's, it's it, like you said, it's you're, you're smashing together these, these two things, or at least it was your attempt at it. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering like how far down the path did you go uh, as a PhD? Like, did you, as, as an industrial organizational psychologist or someone with a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, did you, how long did you go down that path before you realized this, this isn't really complete. There's something missing here. And like, how did you know when that something was missing that it was time to shift? Yeah, I think it was a slow awakening. I can't really necessarily think of one moment. Like I, I even can think, you know, even in college, because I, I started out as a, um, an economics major, <laughs> like I laugh at now because I'm like, that could be not be more economics is so interesting, but like, I could not, I mean, the only thing that would be further from like how I am and how my brain is would be accounting, which <laughs> with, you know, like that would be the only way that it would but so that's, that's kind of where I started. And I think I started taking psychology classes and I was like, I really loved them, but I felt like I wasn't supposed to because it was like, no, nobody with this major, like nobody does this. And uh, thankfully, actually, my older brother looked at me at the time and he was like, he was like, you've one job, just find the thing that you love. Just like, just mm-hmm. follow the thing that you love. It was very, I was very lucky that I had, I had, I got that advice. And that felt like permission in that moment to kind of keep going down that walking that path, but it was still very intellectual. It was still very like, I will understand emotion. Like I will find the formula for emotion and <laughs> happiness. And here's what the research says. And which is still like, I'm so glad I have that foundation now. I'm so glad I have that foundation now, but so it was kind of like getting my toe wet. I'd say there was another moment in grad school. I, I think I mentioned like a year in where I was just really unhappy and I couldn't figure out why, like, and I look back on it and it was because I was completely detached from my emotions. Like I had this backlog. It's basically the equivalent of like this giant closet filled with parts of me that I've spent most of my life not getting to know. And they're like banging on the closet, like, Hey, it's time. It's time to listen to me. And so, but I didn't really know like what to do with that or where to go. Like there was no formula or like, here's what you do. So actually what I started doing, I started meditating. Mm. And when I started meditating, what that started doing was just like, like cracking the closet open. Because when you go inward, you have to, you can't like selectively go inward. Like you kind of go in and you're like, Oh, look at all this stuff that's here. (laughs) Like I will find, 
I will find big emotion and trauma and intuition. Like I will find all of those things at the same time. And so meditation started kind of opening the door and then I'm giving you such long answers. I apologize. I'm a verbal processor. They're great. But, but then in, I'd say what actually really blew the hinges off, like what was when actually, and I think I mentioned this when in our, when we, before we started recording, but was the pasana. So I felt this very strong call. Again, I'm like kind of working on my stuff, but I'm still getting my PhD. And I, I talked to this friend who said, I just got back from this retreat. It's like the X games of meditation, which at the time I was doing like CrossFit and running like eight miles a day. Like I was, if it was hard, I was like going to go for it. And so that caught my attention and I was like, Ooh, like that's cool. And meanwhile, it's hilarious. Cause it's like, that is not what like that, that was the thing that kind of got me in the door. And then the thing that had me stay was very different, but, and it took 10 days of complete silence and like 12 hours of meditation a day. And somewhere around day four, I was like, oh, <laughs> like I want, like, I want to be a coach and I want to start delving into more of this deep stuff and kind of basically like soul level work. And even then it took, a minute, like it was definitely a journey, but meditation was the thing that had me start reintegrating, like parts of myself that I kind of fragmented off. So, yeah. So first of all, no need to apologize for the long answers. They're, they're wonderful answers. This is long, (laughs) long form conversation. We've got plenty of time. So keep them coming. I want to, I want to zoom in a little bit on so I know there wasn't one moment, but if you could just walk us through a one of the preliminary or one of the early on times that you look inwards and you go, oh, whoa, like there's my, my trauma, my intuition, my feelings, like what's, there's a lot happening in here. So like, could you walk through a little bit around like what were, were there any particular sensations? What were there any symptoms that were that were bringing your attention there? Like, were you feeling tightness in particular locations where was something just not working? Like what, what prompted you to go, I'm, it's time to look a little bit more inwards. Oh my gosh, Mike, you're like, you're so speaking my language right now. Cause these are, yeah, the kind of, it's like so, such important questions. I, so I can think of two events. So one was during Vipassana and then there was another one that happened once I was in my corporate job, because basically what happened was when I was on Vipassana, I realized I wanted to be a coach. And then I had all of this stuff brewing under the surface that I needed to explore. And then I went off and I went to corporate and was sort of doing it, but I was doing it slowly. And I hadn't really fully, it was kind of like this realization, like, oh, I've got a a bunch of stuff that I need to look at. And like, okay, I'm highly, I'm highly sensitive. And also how do I manage that versus how do I heal what needs to be healed? Like it, I wasn't quite in a healing conversation. And then once I was in the corporate world, that's when my health started getting wacky. So leading up to the Vipassana, I mean, I was, I, so phase one, um, I was going through this phase where I was getting these like debilitating headaches, like these debilitating migraines. Uh, I was definitely, I definitely had some health stuff popping up. I was getting injured all the time. I was also like exercising, like kind of a maniac. I was definitely, I've always been athletic. And so that was a, an outlet that was healthy in some ways, but also had me avoid some stuff. And 
at the so initially when I was at the Vipassana, and I remember this early on, because you're just sitting there, like you're just sitting there with yourself for hours. And I remember sitting there and thinking about it's so weird. It was it was what was kind of coming out of me because as you're closing your eyes, your mind starts wandering Mm -hmm. because that's what happens when you meditate. And where my my mind kept going, it was like a carousel of things that had happened in my life that I had either forgotten about or I just hadn't thought about it in a really long time. And it's funny, I'm actually putting this together now as you're asking this question, because at the time I was just like, oh, my brain was going crazy because it didn't want to sit still. Like that was always the story that I told about it. But actually now when you ask this question, I'm actually very clear that what was happening was it was starting to come out of me. Like it felt like my brain was kind of starting to show me like, hey, here are the things that you need to start looking at and dealing with. And most of it initially is painful. It's like when you're sensitive, I think initially the things that you're sensitive about are the things that have hurt you. (laughs) Like it takes a minute to kind of be able to also feel like the really good stuff and feel, you know, like use your sensitivity to pull lessons out and all these things. Like first I just kind of had to be with the chat, like challenges and like, like, honestly, like psychological stuff. So I, I remember, so to be more specific, I'm, I realize I'm being really abstract. I remember thinking about like big breakups I'd had or moments when I was really young and I was in school and like my, te- you know, like I'd have sort of something happen with a teacher where a teacher would be really mean. And then I would make up a story about me being dumb or not good enough. Like it felt like my brain was just torturing me <laughs> a little bit by uh-huh. showing me all of these things. But now what was really happening was it was just sort of opening. It, it actually felt like the door was opening to all of these things that I kind of dissociated from. Then fast forward a couple years, I'm sort of working on those things, but slowly, and I'm working in the corporate field. And again, I was, I was, I was like kind of straddling the line. I was still doing, really working very, very hard to be the, the type of professional that I had been taught to be. So I'm I'm working in leadership development and I'm doing this work that I really, really love. And I was not really, I wasn't really dealing, like I was sort of starting to like look at what was behind the surface, but I wasn't really dealing with it yet. And then at that point started, I just entered a really deep depression. And when I entered the deep depression, that was when it was like, okay, all right, like this, I need to, I need to actually like kind of go in on healing some of these things. And it, it stopped being about like, I'll just do this in my free time. And it started being much more of an active conversation. You know, my, there was all, all kinds of other stuff. Like my, my, my hair was falling out. Like I had all kinds of, like my body was definitely, my body was definitely, definitely responding. And after that, I, well, I'll pause. Cause that was like the actual answer to your question, but yeah. I want you to keep going. So what what was the after that? Yeah, after that. So I think initially when a lot of people go through an awakening, they think that they, I, I, okay, I see this with my clients. And then I also have had this experience where you think you can like maintain the status quo while also Mm. kind of looking at what you need to look at. Like you're basically getting this internal signal. Hey, your life needs to be different. And you're like, well, it can be different, but like not that different. I can still do the things that I need to do to like pay the bills and make sure that, you know, like, I I don't know, whatever your story is that kind of keeps you in that thing. 
for me, it was like, nobody, you know, nobody leaves their job at 27 to go start their own coaching, coaching business. Like that's not something that people do. So I kind of was like maintaining the status quo. Meanwhile, my insides are like, this is not what you need to be doing. You need to go all in on your coaching business. And like coaching is the thing that you want to be doing. And like, it's time to actually start challenging some of these things that you have inside of you that, that tell you that you need to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, I left my job. I left my job. I started my own business officially, or I kind of went, it had been going in the background, but I went all in on it. And it became about rather than like kind of playing both sides of the field, I just fully committed to like radical alignment. So I was just like, if it's not aligned, if it doesn't feel right in my body, if this isn't actually serving me, then it's going to be a no. And that was really, really scary, but it took, um, I mean, the, it, it really took me kind of having my health go, having my, basically like my brain kind of go like, Hey, you've got, you've got all of these things that need to be healed and kind of pushing me up against this, this breakthrough for me to be like, okay, fine. Like you now have my attention and going all in. Does that, mm -hmm. does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I asked you to keep going. Cause that had, there's a lot of juice in there. So one of the things that I'm struck by in, in your response there is the, it seems like over time, I know that in a, in a podcast, all, however long form it may be, we're, we're of course skipping a lot of steps because there's lots of complexity and mm -hmm. this happened over a long duration of time. But one of the things I was struck by as you responded was the, in the beginning, it was, you just noticed that things weren't working. And then by the end, you were able to commit to radical alignment and, and were somewhat attuned to what was happening in your body and able to listen to mm -hmm. the, the messages that were coming through. Were, did that come from just meditating? I'm sure it's going to be a combination, but so meditation as a tool, was that something that you just kept doing and then the awareness kept growing? Were you working with any practitioners who helped you build skills around identifying emotions or, or what was mm -hmm. happening in your body? Were, were there curiosities of yours that you were just like, I'm going to keep reading about it, all of the above? Yeah. So what comes up for you there? All of it. I mean, I think what I kept learning too was, so I had a fair amount of support and I kept having these realizations that I actually needed more. Like, mm -hmm. not because I was falling apart. Like I kind of described that, like it was really, really dark. Like from the outside, you would have been, you would have been like, oh, she's got a, like a functioning business and she's a PhD, you know, like. It, it looked like it was pretty together and like things were going pretty well, but I was doing some really deep healing work. Like I was going in and the deeper I went, you know, I think at that point I had a, I had, I had a coach who was just integral to, to the whole, actually, well, I should even back up. I was going through a coach train. I had just gone through a coach training program and leadership development program. So when I had that, I actually had community around me where with people who were doing sort of going through similar things, like maybe not quite as, as healing oriented, because I think, but, but a lot of just like big moves being made in people's lives, a lot of, you know, internal ex exploration. And, yeah. and so I kind of had that community, which was really key. I had a coach. So after I left, you know, once I left that program, it was a year long program, I had a coach 
And then I also had a therapist. <laughs> and then I also ended up hiring, and actually the therapist and then the second practitioner. So I also ended up working with my spiritual teacher who I still work with. Mm. And that part ended up being so valuable because for me, actually, therapy and spiritual healing are not, there's some overlap, but they're different modalities. And I actually, I really needed both. Honestly, I needed all three of those things. And actually, this, and the thing I kind of alluded to before was I had a very big block around investing in myself. I had had mm. a coach and that was a really big deal. Like that was a really big deal hiring, hiring coach because I'm also a coach and I'm like, I need to be able to invest in it to like be able to, you know, it's really, it's really, really important. And so something beyond that, when I was already working with a coach felt really excessive, but the way that I had to realize, think about it was like, I'm up to really big things. Like I, the thing that I'm building is huge and I'm also doing it while I'm doing this really deep heal, like ancestral level healing work that is very, very intense. And so I need, I really quickly realized I'm like, I need, I need like a system around me to support me in this kind of duality of like how deep I'm going and also like the magnitude of the thing that I'm creating. So that ended up being really, really important. And I kind of, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but intuition ended up being the thing that shifted the whole thing for me. And so my, my relationship with my spiritual teacher, which is also one of the reasons why now that's such a big part of my practice, because I had to really what the work was about was about going inward and learning to actually hear my own voice, like what was true for me, what my body was telling me, all of the, the ways that I had learned to, okay, like emotions are too much, too sensitive this is the right way of kind of living, living your life and navigating the world. I had to completely relearn that and reorient rather than having it be external, go internal. Mm -hmm. And that was a very spiritual process for me. And it was very much about getting in touch with my own voice and my intuition and what was true for me. And it took a, it took a minute, but that was, that was one of the, that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about that, particularly for people who are like, are kind of in the midst of this redefinition of kind of who they are, because it's like, what are you orienting? Like, what is that? Who is that for you? How, what are you actually orienting to? And so that was really, really big for me. It was really big for me. And, and very quickly, was there, was there anything in particular, like with your spiritual teacher that could you give one example of something that might've come up and how your spiritual teacher helped you get more in touch with your intuition and, and how you wanted to orient yourself versus how you actually were positioning yourself and orienting yourself. Like th does anything come up that was, that stands out? Yeah. I mean, honestly, there are probably like so many because <laughs> I'm like, there are a lot of different possible doors there. Actually one of the biggest things, and I think you'll appreciate this because your background's in, like you've such a background in like health coaching and supporting people with their bodies and everything. All of the signals I was getting from my body were, I'm very present to the fact that they were my intuition and my, they, it was, it was like, my body was speaking to me. It was actually giving me messages. It wasn't like I was just getting random headaches or anything, you know, or ran, like these things weren't random. It wasn't like a giant glitch of the system. It was that 
I, I really, one of the things that we worked on was the fact that my body, and I think this is true for everyone, but everybody, it, it, the language with which our body and our intuition speaks to us is so deeply personal. So it will vary depending on who you're talking to. But for me, some of the things that I was experiencing, I, the, the, the learning was actually in being able to go into them. So if I'm having a bodily sensation, if I'm having a if I'm talking to someone and suddenly I feel my body feels off or it's like, there's a really abrupt shift in my physiology. There was an invitation to get curious about it rather than relate to it as noise. And sometimes it's noise. Like sometimes it is noise, which is one of the reasons why like trauma healing and stuff like that is really important because sometimes trauma can have it be noise. But there was this consistent coming back to what are you feeling in your body? What is actually going on for you? Like get present, like look at what is actually present for you and sit with it. That allowed me to completely shift my relationship to my sensitivity. Cause before it was just like, I'm walking through the world. I'd be coaching someone, you know, and I'm coaching someone from the neck up. I'm, I just, I, at this point I was very intellectual in my coaching. I'm like asking very intellectual questions. And my body is like giving me signals about what's going on for this person. But I'm just like, funny body sensation, keep, keep going up into the head and thinking. And it's, there's like no mind body connection. And so what the intuition really did for me is like, when that happens, drop in, like drop deeper in and get curious about what's going on and actually trust that your body is telling you something rather than, yeah, it just being like, I always just thought I felt too many things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Is this making sense? I realize it's kind of abstract. Oh, yeah. but, okay. <laughs> it's, it's 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 amazing. Yeah. It, is there is there more? Probably. <laughs> we, uh, what was coming up for you though? Yeah. Well, I, I was really just driving with everything that you were saying. It it all really resonates with me. One more curiosity about this is, I'm trying to place myself in the shoes of a listener who. This sounds intriguing too. They're, they might even be experiencing a lot in their body right now. And there's the awareness of the sensation as like that might be step one. So you, someone might be like, I don't know, I feel that my heart is beating a little bit faster and my skin temperature is getting a little bit warmer. Just, just placing a some sort of sensation that might happen when, when you hear something that's intriguing. So there's, um, it, again, in the shoes of the listener, someone might be going, I feel that, but like, how do I know what that is communicating to me? Right. And so where, what would you say to a, a person that is experiencing that? Or how, like, how would you guide someone in from the awareness of, okay, like I, I noticed the sensation, I, I noticed my gut throbbing or, uh, my fingers are tingling. It could be anything. Like, how would you guide them to uh, go from awareness into maybe insight or knowing what is being communicated? Yeah, it's a really good question. So the the first thing I would say is number one, most of most of us are operating from flight or flight, fight or flight, all the time. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is actually slowing down. Like, 
so for you to actually be present to your sensations, like there's a degree of having to slow your breathing, deepen your breathing, slow your thoughts a little bit, like actually come into the body. Cause if you're trying to analyze what's happening with your body from up here, that's when people have like a panic attack. <laughs> like that's when, that's when, cause you're trying to figure it out and you're kind of trying to get the right answer. And it's very, so I, I'm sure you, I don't know if you get overly analytical about it, it's yes. very easy for it to actually the gap to get larger. So first it's like, there's an element of grounding and actually just getting present in your body and breathing and then bringing curiosity. Like, okay, so I've got a tension in my diaphragm. Let me just breathe into that and actually sit with it. And when I feel into this and hold space for it, rather than being like, I'm not supposed to feel this and jump out of it, which most people do. We're like, oh, I'm supposed to feel positive all the time. So we like shove it, you know? And, and sometimes we will feel into it. And the moment you give it attention, it'll, it'll dissipate. The moment that it, you breathe and open up that it'll kind of dissolve other times it might not other times there might be a especially if it's persistence if it's kind of like wow this is weird but I notice that whenever I'm in this type of conversation I get tension in my chest you might start noticing those patterns so the the invitation is actually to like actually sink into it and be present with it and just see what comes up for you you're not trying to figure it out you're not trying to make it go away. It's just, okay, what's actually present for me here? A lot of times when people initially go into this, and this is a big, this is actually a big part of my practice, because sometimes like we hit on things that create this really big, these big bodily sensations, not realizing that the bodily sensations are telling you something. Thinking into it and being like, okay, so what am I, what am I feeling in this moment? What is the emotion? Am I seeing, you know, I, I'll, very frequently the way that this will show up for me is I'll go into, into a body, bodily sensation and I'll get a mental image of something. I'll get a mental image of an experience that I've had or I'll get a really strong sense of like loneliness. I'm like, okay, what this is actually telling me is I feel disconnected in this moment. It's actually telling me something about my needs or something that perhaps needs, to, needs additional attention, but you can only access that when you're very open, when it's sort of like, it's okay for this thing to be here. I'm just meeting it with love and care. And it's very possible that it will just evaporate and it means nothing and that's okay. And sometimes like part of this is actually realizing that sometimes your bodily sensations don't actually need to mean anything. And being able to use that discernment of like, when, when can I use my body as a, an antenna to actually tell me when there's deep, deeper healing available for me here. Also, have you ever heard of internal family systems? Of course. Have you ever talked about that? Big, big fan. My coach uses internal family systems with, with me. That I've been working with him for about a year now. And we've almost exclusively as a gateway or path of access into my different conditioned beliefs, patterns, and feelings and sensations in the body. He has done it mostly through internal family systems as modality. Yes. That's another really great modality mm -hmm. for this, because sometimes when you go into the sensation, it'll very quickly, if you have that as a tool. So for everyone listening, internal family systems is this modality that you can use to support you in reaching your goals and also deepening your healing. Like there are a lot of different, different, um, 
avenues for it. But the whole idea is that we have these um, parts, we, we can sort of think of our, our psyche as having different parts. And some, most of those parts are actually designed to protect us. Mm-hmm. So you might have a hyperlogical part, you might have a part that's judgmental, you might have a part that likes to control things, like you might have all of these different parts that actually exist because they're there to protect you like they've they've actually developed because you've had some sort of situation in your life where that thing has been needed and they're almost always associated with a sensation in the body Mm -hmm. so if you actually go into your body you can get a sense of okay wait hold on there's this part of me when my heart my, my heart gets really tense and I feel this tension in my chest there's actually a part of me that is just really really lonely and like actually needs love and attention and connection. So how do I get that? And, and so it can be kind of a, a, that could be an additional tool to use there and like, and door in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, there's two other things that come up for me and I'm a huge fan of internal family systems. Are you familiar with Hakomi as a therapeutic modality? No, what is it called? Hakomi, H-A-K-O-M-I, is a very somatically body-based therapy. And I'm grossly oversimplifying. I mean, my only training in it at all is that I did a, a full weekend workshop in it. But it really is just bringing loving awareness to the different sensations in your body and then using different maybe experiments to if someone just pays attention to their body without any circumstances or with a blank canvas, maybe nothing's going on. There are certain phrases that you can say to someone that usually evoke something in the body. So you might try something like, what are you, what's your experience in your body when I tell you, you are enough, or you are perfect just the way that you are. And that that probably for a lot of people is going to evoke something. And a Hakomi practitioner would ask you to just notice that, to, to be with the experience of that. So I have a, a list of different prompts that are that can be highly evocative. And so every now and then I go back to them as things that they become signposts for me to look back at for myself, right? Because that there's healing to be done there. If, if something uncomfortable is happening when I hear that I'm perfect just the way that I am, or it's okay to make a mistake, or it's okay to for someone to laugh at you, it's okay to be shy, it's okay to be awkward, whatever it is, then there's healing work to be done there. And, and internal family systems actually folds over really nicely with something like Hakomi, because there's that is usually a, a part of us that we can bring our attention to, right? So yeah, well, I see your face right now, and I, I want to let I want to give it to you to say to respond because there's something happening there. <laughs> I'm just really no, that is amazing. I'm gonna have to look that up because that, yeah, I've noticed also too. That's so cool that you're using that in your coaching practice because one of the things I've noticed is that so often the goal okay so let's actually take this because i know we've mainly been talking actually and i don't want to like grab the ball and run across the court so if we (laughs) go here that's okay but but 
I know that we've mainly been having kind of a conversation about healing because I'm talking about my journey, which is basically a healing journey. Mm-hmm. But, and it's like, okay, so taking a look at, there's something big in your life that you want to create. Like there, you have a goal. It's actually, you know, you're maybe not in so much of a healing conversation. You're in a goal conversation. I see this all the time with my clients where it's like, okay, there is this part of you that keeps jumping up and blocking the actualization of this thing. Mm-hmm. So example, like I want to make a bigger difference for my clients or something. And I have a part that really goes into my pleaser. Like I have like mm-hmm. a people pleaser mode. So I won't say the most powerful thing or I really want to get, you know, have my team, you know, like succeed and, and excel. And actually maybe the pleaser can get in the way there too. Cause you're not actually telling them what they need to do to like, there's a lack of directness that's happening on your team. That's actually stifling, stifling your leadership. So often I think we blow by the pleaser. We obliterate the pleaser. It's like, okay, I just need to develop a bunch of ways of not using the pleaser and ignore and basically take the part, that part of you and shove it in the closet without actually realizing that that part is coming in because it has a need and there's something in your system that is actually a little bit out of balance that's having you feel like you need to use that. And it's a really well, oiled probably like there's an element of habit too. And so how do we work with that part rather than just making it wrong and obliterate, obliterating it, maybe even repurpose it, right? So like, what was the original purpose of the pleaser? Maybe the pleaser helped you become more connected to people maybe it was something that allowed you to stay in relationship. And that's actually one of your superpowers in your leadership or in your practice that you can be really connected to people. So how do we work with this part and kind of release some of the imbalance that's stored in that part of your system, which is, I mean, I need to look into Hakomi, but it sounds like that's actually part of it. It's part of what allows you to kind of release and have that go differently versus kind of being like, okay, well, so my leadership is always going to involve having my pleaser rush in and having me blow by them. It's actually allowing the pleaser to be kind of repurposed and integrated back into the system in a productive way. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, to make this really, I want to make this tangible because it, it's, it, it feels like it's practical still, but I'm also cognizant of the fact this might just be two coaches nerding out. What, yep. <laughs> if, if, I were, if I were to really shorthand what you just said, there's a way in which when we see this, the pleaser, let's stick with the pleaser, the, the pleaser shows up in us. There's a way in which a lot of personal development teaches us to you said obliterate it to to shove it down in some way and just like go go through it and hakomi internal family systems i think that the best forms of coaching or therapy actually invite us into exploring the utility and wisdom of the pleaser like that how amazing a strategy it is and that maybe the pleaser in us doesn't want to do that that job anymore or it has, it did, it did that for us at a certain time in our life and it, it has outgrown that role. So the, I think the real utility in this is, and, and like Kristen Neff does amazing work on self-compassion. All of these are roads into just bringing self-compassion to yourself and not looking at these things that, you know, we got to crush our limiting beliefs. We need, we can't have an inner critic. 
it's looking at the, the wisdom of them and seeing if there's a, a different way that we can go about moving through the world instead of, you know, being that we, we like to think of ourselves as finished products as, as like 25 year olds or, you know, once we get to adulthood, like we we're not evolving as much as we did when we were kids. And like, it's just, it's just not true. Anyway, one of the, the where I really wanted to explore, I were kind of towards the back end of the, the time that we have together. Mm-hmm. I wanted to explore leadership with you and uh, the place of you, like, I'm a highly sensitive person. You're a highly sensitive person. So the place of sensitivity, which has already been named multiple times in this conversation Mm -hmm. in leadership, and we can start by just defining what is a highly sensitive person. And when you talk about your sensitivity, what, like, if, if I double click on sensitivity, what do you, what do you mean when you say that? Yeah. Well, and so first I want to say there are a lot of official definitions that you can check out. And there's, there's some really great books. There's, um, I think it's called the power of highly sensitive people was like the first book that I encountered on this, like in grad school. So there's my experience of my own sensitivity is probably a little bit different, but, um, sensitivity is really being a highly sensitive person. What that means is that you're someone who feels the world deeply. You feel it deeply in your body. You might have amplified an amplified experience of like bodily sensations. But also there's, there's a very, there's a depth of emotion there and feeling emotions very intensely, having a lot of them. And one thing I'll add on to this is even if you aren't someone who identifies as that, or that doesn't necessarily resonate with you, my experience is that sensitivity is still something can, that can be built or rather that I think a lot of people actually start out as being pretty sensitive but are kind of taught not to be. There's like a bunch of stuff that gets layered on it and the world kind of calluses them, which isn't bad. I think actually a lot of, there's a lot of things that you can learn, you know, throughout your life that are very, very valuable. And the way that I've learned to use my sensitivity and also work with my clients on theirs is like, how do you re- get back in touch with that sensitivity in such a way that it becomes a superpower? Mm-hmm. And it's actually something that you can use in your leadership. You can use to inform your impact that you can use to connect with other people? How do you actually use that as data versus a data and, um, and a skill to leverage versus always kind of feeling like the world has got you tumbling around? You know, a lot of people initially think like, oh, I don't want to be sensitive because I don't want to, I don't want to be in pain. Like, I don't want to have the world chew me up and spit me out. That's not what this is about. It's about how do you actually tap into that well of sensitivity that exists inside of all of us and use it in a way that can make the world better basically yeah and so what were like if a highly sensitive person comes to work with you what are some things that you see that they're typically up to that they they feel i don't know if it's the most shame about or they feel the most blocked up about like what what type of work are you doing with that person that allows them to open themselves and then where do where do you i i don't want to broadly generalize too much but where do you mostly mm-hmm. see your clients or other highly sensitive folks that you work with? Like what, what usually emerges as like the deepest expression of their gifts? Oh man. So 
it's so, it is very varied because so much of it's inside of the context of like what it is that they're dealing with. But, but usually the things that I see the most often kind of churning in the background are that when you're sensitive, there's a, you have an ability to tap in and be so aware of how everyone's going to feel about everything. <laughs> like, like there's sort of a, there's a little bit of actually, hold on, I'm trying not to throw in too much jargon, but I was going to say kind of codependency in the sense that you, when you're sensitive, you're usually hyper aware. When I say this, this person will feel this way. Mm -hmm. When this happens, this person will respond this way. And so there's all of this energy being exerted, calculating what is, what everybody's response to you will be. Mm -hmm. I see this actually a lot with leaders who particularly like in nonprofit, like who are more in kind of in the nonprofit world or especially in, industries that are really kind of for, focused on activism when they're running a team and it's like, okay, if I make this really strong decision, then how will this person feel about it? And I need to, then suddenly they get wrapped up in all of the interpersonal dynamics and it actually ends up kind of hindering their power. So there's a reframe available, I think for a lot of, that's, that's one example of something that's really, really common, but there's actually a reframe available around how you are with your own personal power and boundaries and the degree to which you allow yourself to actually tap into how other people will likely feel as a way of connecting and, and actually like maintaining that connection. And, uh, and, and actually there are a lot of other things you can do with your sensitivity, but what does it look like to actually bring that ability into balance so that you don't get stuck in all of the feeling? That's one very tangible example. And I see you nodding, like you're sort of maybe familiar, like familiar or what's coming up for you. Yeah. I mean, like as a, as a data point of one here, but I am in a lot of ways, my story kind of parallels yours, right? I'm a highly sensitive person who thought that professionally I needed to lean on my intellectual capacity to be successful. Hence I ended up going down an, an accounting path to start my career. And the deeper that I've gone into who I am, the more that I have realized that my sensitivity is actually my greatest strength. And there's still some cleaning up to do around like me trying to take responsibility for one of the things that you were saying was like, we're able to, if I do this, then this, it, this is the impact it will have on the room of people or the string of people that are in, you know, my, in my reach or in my organization. So there's some cleaning up to do around my responsibility. What feels true to me? I, I get to own that and not try and take responsibility for everyone else's reaction to that, which is part of it just comes with the reps of doing it and like allowing our nervous system to grow and to expand in the, in the unfamiliar territory. And part of it is to recalibrate getting in touch with, for me, it's like getting in touch with my inner compass and, and saying what's true to me. And over time, what I have realized personally is that these things that at one point I was so terrified of putting out there because of how other people might react, eventually there becomes the goalpost moves and the challenge, it, it might still be there, but it becomes a little different because we've, we've already done the reps. So that's the, I mean, that's what came up for me personally around like my sensitivity and, and how does that affect me as a leader? 
another thing, I think a lot of it is really trusting and being patient. That's been a big one for me. Mm. So there's, there's a lot of times that I, there's an insight that clicks for me on a head level that it takes, it takes a while for it to become embodied for me. And I, I wish that everyone really knew at a, at a body level, at like an instinct, intuition, however you want to say it, soul level, that just because you know something doesn't mean that it has actually been integrated. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love both of those things that you just said. So first off, can I just, can I just respond? Can I respond to what you, yeah, okay. Yeah. I want to be mindful because I know you've probably got other questions. Maybe you want to ask or places you want to go, but the, the two things I was thinking of number one with that, you get a lightning bolt and it takes a moment for it to hit for you can be a highly sensitive, like that's totally, it can totally be a highly sensitive quality. And what's really cool about what you just said is like knowing that that's part of how your process is, like knowing when you know that about yourself and you, when you're able to own it versus be like, well, I'm just supposed to know immediately. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why don't I know now? I will just force myself to know or make a premature decision. You can actually like own that in a different way. And so much of being, I, so much of the work that I've done and I, with, on my, with myself and with my clients and that I think is really important is like, what is the process that you need to make decisions? What is the process that you need to process, like, process and make sense of new information and rather than take again this theme of like what the world says it's supposed to look like and be like I'm supposed to be like that actually know yourself enough to know how it goes for you and what you need in that moment to operate at your peak and have that really be okay Mm -hmm. and that's really so that that was the first thing that came up for me that I think is a really important part of this and it's, you don't even have to be highly sensitive for that. I think it's right. like really understand how your own brain and your own energy works and empowering it and give, and like, and also giving other people space to do their version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing you said was like, when you're in a, the other thing that kind of jumped in for me when you, during the first part of what you said was highly sensitive people have both a tremendous ability to see the thing that needs to be said, feel it in, like in their body, almost to the point that it's like uncomfortable, like when it's not, it's not being said or it's not there or people are dancing around it. Like we can feel it. We, we, and it might take a minute for it to crystallize, but it comes up for us usually. And for me, it's usually in a body way. So we kind of have this idea of what needs to be said and a hyper awareness of what the reaction to that thing might be. Mm-hmm which often prevents us from saying it or doing it or being the one. And so there's an ability to recognize that you have this superpower inside of yourself to be like, Oh, Hey, there's something in this room that's not being said. There's something in this room that needs to shift. There's something that's off. Something's out of alignment and to be the one who's willing to say it and then be okay with, okay. Like people, you know, my job actually might be to ruffle some feathers. And how do I regulate my nervous system in such a way that I can be okay with that? Right. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any uh, practices that you do personally and that you would give your clients to, to help build that capacity to, to regulate nervous system to, yeah, to, to keep expanding what, to go from the what's familiar into 
like I have this awareness, but I want to be able to say what feels true to me because that's a deeper expression of me, like as a leader, as a person across the board. Totally. So I think you already touched on this, but so much of this is actually about building nervous system capacity, like Mm -hmm. actually building that sense of internal safety, like on a physiological level. So that that's, I don't want to glaze over that because that is very much like a healing conversation because some of us like some people still have a lot of active healing so even the thought of like saying the scary thing and then being in the impact of it will activate you so much that you actually can't like you can't like or you can but your system is short-circuiting so doing that embodiment and healing work like as a foundation is really really helpful in that situation so things like somatic experiencing like Feldon Kreis basically any kind of embodiment work the more you practice being able to hold in your body the sensation of all of the stuff happening, you know, that'll really, really help. The other things are, I mean, these are small, but like other kind of rigs, especially when you say, when it's about saying something, doing it in partnership. Mm. So one of the things I think about a lot is I had a mentor say, say to me once, you can say anything when there is sufficient relationship. So actually focusing on that connection and making sure that that connection, that foundation of connection is there. It's actually a place where like highly sensitive people, we already kind of have that as a superpower. So you can sort of use that, like to forge that connection before you say, like say the thing. Putting things on loudspeaker is really, really, are really, really helpful too, where it's like, okay, hey, I'm actually, y'all, one of my personal areas of growth is I'm practicing actually using my voice in a different way and saying the thing. Please let me know how that goes and how it lands. Like, are you like, are you okay with me practicing that with you? Yeah. So that there's a certain amount of buy-in to being in the conversation about what happens after. Because if not, you might just be kind of throwing a grenade in. It, it's possible. And, and what that also do is it, it does is it kind of gets, gives you a little bit of an invitation. Yeah. Grounding is tremendously helpful too. Like literally just focusing on the energy between your, your body and the earth and doing some of those like energy protection techniques of like bringing your energy back in and, and thinking about even different, even other, other things. And honestly, but at the end of the day, it's practice. Yes. It's like practicing saying the thing, being disruptive, whatever, you know, whatever your story about it is and realizing that the world doesn't end. Mm-hmm. Or seeing, okay, that didn't work or that, you know, like when I did it that way, then it got on this person and like trusting yourself to clean it up afterwards. Yeah. What's worked for you? (laughs) The simple, so, uh, I mean, we've touched on it a little bit in this conversation, but the breath is always to me foundational. It's like, it's the most accessible in any given moment. Mm -hmm. Like if this, sometimes we get reactive in places where it doesn't feel accessible to close the eyes and and scan through the body so the breath is always something that's there for me i come back to a lot being outside and uh being in nature so like just going for walks and being near other trees another thing that's been brought up in this conversation that's really been impactful for me has been just being parts of communities where this is the norm because at various points in my life I thought especially you know my come from as a a sensitive male who like wanted to be traditionally popular in high school and wanted to be a jock and wanted to be traditionally successful 
is that I really felt isolated and alone. So being in community is something that you've already named, but that's been really helpful for me, just talking to other people who are up to similar stuff and it being normalized, right? It's not like I'm, I'm not crazy for thinking this or feeling this. I'm trying to think of what else has, has been really helpful for me. Journaling too. I, I want to name that mm. journaling can be really helpful in addition to all the stuff that you've named uh, journaling. And in particular, there's a few, I don't have a very structured journaling practice. I, it's more free flowing, but one of the things mm -hmm. that I come back to if I am in a rut is a form of what, what my coach has invited me into two pen coaching, meaning with one pen, that's one color. I will write as my, as a part of me that's triggered. And then with another pen, I will write as like coach Mike or my highest self or, you know, however, whatever feels comfortable for you. And that has been really helpful for me as well. I'll name one more thing too. There's uh, this organization called the Conscious Leadership Group. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. They have a... Emotions can get, like Brene Brown has said, there's, I think, 80 plus emotions, but Conscious Leadership Group distills it down into the five core emotions. And there's a map in the body of where they traditionally show up. So the core five that they say are sexual or creative feelings, joy, sadness, anger, and fear. And there's a map that I'll link in the show notes that that goes into where you feel, where most people feel most of those. So just to give one example, sadness a lot of times is you'd feel it in your throat and in like maybe behind the eyes. And, and they have questions that like prompts that go along with that. So sadness is what wants to be grieved or what wants to be let go of or what wants to be mourned. And I have found mm. that uh, to be really helpful on ramp that I, I give that to folks a lot too. If, if some people just need a map, like a, something that they can turn to for, and, and I've been in that camp before too. Like I have needed the guidance because it just felt like there was, I had no idea what any of it meant. So those, those have been really helpful for me. That is awesome. I would love to see, I mean, when you link those, send them to me too, because I, mm -hmm. I the, oh my gosh, H having some sort of a way of getting curious about, it's just, I mean, it's all about like curiosity is yes. the medicine, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. getting, getting curious about what, what is actually going on and what the emotion is. And I think um, so many people get stuck because they don't know what to do with it or where to go. Cause it's just like an overwhelming sensation and giving you kind of somewhere to somewhere to go with it. The other thing that also came up for me when you were talking about that was um, in the example of like, okay, you're a highly sensitive person or not, and you're getting caught up in what everyone's going to feel or think, or, you know, like kind of in that conversation about how much impact you want to have and how much you want to take on about everybody else's reactions. There's something in these moments where you stretch yourself, where things will get activated for you emotions will get activated, bodily sensations will get activated and having a way of, I love what you just said, because it's, it's getting, having a way of getting curious about what is getting activated for you. Mm -hmm. 
sometimes it's like, you know, maybe it's, you're having a disagreement with a colleague and sometimes it's like, I just need them not to be an a-hole, you know, <laughs> like it might feel like at this surface level, like we're, you know, I'm fighting with my partner about who takes out the trash, but really you're not. There's actually something deeper going on there. It's like, I don't feel respected or you're grieving something or there's, there's like a deeper part of you that's tender that is actually getting poked at. And the, the trigger or the whatever's getting driven up is an invitation to get curious about that thing and, and learn from that thing versus just solve the problem or blow by it. Mm-hmm. And I love that tool because it's, it's basically a way to do that. Yeah. Well, this has been such a rich conversation so far, Lauren. Is is there anything, are there any topics that we didn't get to today or anything that feels important to you to bring into this conversation right now before I move towards more rapid fire type of questions? No, not really. I think I think we hit on hit on most of it. I mean, I enjoy just like the free flowing free flowing nature. I mean, I guess the last thing I would also just say is I think most of us are massively under supported in this conversation, like about, about how we manage our emotions, how we handle sensitivity, how we heal, and particularly in the corporate world. Like mm-hmm. we have no idea, but we're, we're just operating with each other's, like we're just activating each other's stuff and just sort of, and we have no idea that we're activating each other's stuff and that's constantly in the culture and in our relationships. And so being able to, actually get present to what is getting activated is just like, it's an absolute game changer in terms of how we relate to one another and how we work together. So um, I really appreciated this part of the conversation. Awesome. Yeah, me too, Lauren. So just a couple more questions before we wrap up. What is one ordinary moment or one ordinary everyday moment that brings you great joy? Hmm. My walk to and from actually usually back from the gym I've already like moved my body and particularly if the weather's nice but even if it's not I'm I usually listen to music and just walk and like notice trees and the hear the sounds and it's just a place where I get really really present and grounded before my day gets going and that's that's one of my favorite things love it what is something that people would be surprised to know about you people would be surprised to know about me. Hold on. I'm like such an open book that they, I, I'm almost an oversharer. So I don't know what the answer that would be. I have a framed picture of baby Yoda on my wall because I love baby Yoda so much. Um, and yeah, I love baby Yoda so much. Yeah. That's the answer that I would go with. Big uh, baby Yoda fan. Is there anything about baby Yoda that you particularly love? So I always just thought it was just a really cute, I didn't, I didn't even watch the Mandalorian. Like I don't even, I didn't even watch it, but I just, I, the baby Yoda memes and like with a little hand uh-huh. and it's just, it's just so funny. And um, my coach ended up using it at one point because I was working with some of the stuff with my own sensitivity. And I was like, I got this really powerful reframe around sensitivity being your biggest form of strength. And she said, what's a, an image or a symbol of that that you can call to mind? And for some reason, baby Yoda was what popped into my mind. And so it's also kind of this representation of like something small and seemingly fragile being the most powerful thing in the room. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Uh, Love that. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any 
quotes or slogans that you have hung up maybe or, or like anything that comes to mind as an anchor something that you come back to that is grounding or or just that you think is wise and that you that you like to come back to huh two things come to mind one is when i was starting my business the quote I kept coming back to was the, um, a lot of people misattribute it to being a quote from Steve Jobs, but it's not. It's actually, I don't remember the name, the actual name, but it's here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. Uh, they're not fond of rules, but they, the, oh man, I missed the, the middle part, but it was basically like, they're the ones who are crazy enough to think, or the ones who are crazy enough to believe that they can change the world or the ones who actually do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, before my final question, where would you invite people to connect with your work online or otherwise? Yeah. So check me out on LinkedIn. Or if you are more into the fun, non-professional content where it's just like short bursts of things to make you think uh, and a little bit more insight into my personal life, then um, you can check me out at, at Dr. Lauren Borden on Instagram. Awesome. And actually, before the very final question, I feel compelled to ask this. Books that you might recommend that we haven't already uh, brought into the conversation? Yeah. Okay. So there are probably a lot, but Untamed by Glennon Doyle uh, was an enormous awakening book for me. Whatever Arises, Love, Love That by Matt Kahn for some of the more spiritual content. And Dark Side of the Light Chasers is a really great place to go for kind of shadow, shadow work and more of that IFS work. And I'll leave you with those three for now. I'm just looking around at my books to see if there's anything that I missed. But I think that's it. Perfect. All right, Lauren. Well, the, the final question I ask all of my guests, the podcast is called Mike's Search for Meaning. I love hearing each individual's interpretation of this. And I want to know for you, for Lauren, what does it mean to live a meaningful life? Mm. For me, living a meaningful life is about connection. So much of my work, I think, has been around noticing all of the things that get in the way of it and actually showing up connected to people and being there for people and, and like creating that community and connection. and just letting life teach you, like letting life teach you what you need to learn, letting life lead you where it needs to go. Like kind of this, yeah, a, a willingness to, to just be un, like undeniably and radically present for each part of your life and feel all of the things and let those things teach you and keep connecting with people that you love. That's, that's what it means to be, have a meaningful life for me. Awesome. Well, Lauren, it, this was, like I said, a very rich conversation. I have, I've heard you in the past talk about how the transition from being the PhD and the doctor and uh, someone who was more focused from the neck up intellectually, how that's been, it's been challenging and it's always, you're always pushing your edge a little bit as you continue to step into the space that you're in now and it's it's always evolving and i just want to acknowledge you and and applaud you for what you're stepping into it, it certainly has had an impact on me 
um, I trust that this conversation will touch whoever is meant to be touched by this. And you're doing, uh, you're doing some really incredible work in the world. And I know the weight that he healing carries for you and that your heart is behind helping other sensitive folks. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very important work and not in a grandiose way. You're, you're, you're following your, you're, you're taking your own medicine, you're following your calling. And I uh, appreciate about, about you. So thank you for being on my show and, and sharing your gifts. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. It was just, it was really nice getting to know you better. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. And just like some of the most thought provoking questions I've ever received. So I really appreciate it. I, I appreciate that. And to all of the listeners, I hope that whenever you're listening, you have a great rest of your day or night. And if you're feeling compelled to reach out, the connection's important to Lauren. It's important to me. This work is not easy. And I, it's really important to me that everyone in this world feels connected. So I hope that you have the courage to follow whatever helps you feel connected and take good care. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.